Hello there. Sometimes in life, you are faced with two stark claims or two stark choices, and you know deep in your gut that neither is entirely true, that there is no one true way, but you still have to make that one choice because you don't even see the other options. Life is full of dichotomies like that, and most of them are false, but we don't necessarily see it at the moment. And it's even a bit funny, because much of the time we're reminded of a vast selection of available choices. It's usually not limited to just two choices, and they're not always polar opposites either. So creative people, you know, artists, writers, musicians, entertainers of all kinds, hypothetically have an infinite array of possible creative decisions they could make rather than just two or, you know, even dozens. Theoretically, you have like an infinite amount of options. But obviously, we tend to end up in familiar terrain or familiar territory, if you will, because that's what we're familiar with. It's a, it's a bit of a redundancy, but it's it's important. So whether I half-ass these podcast episodes or work my very hardest to make the best episode I can, I'm still faced with many options myself. I have to decide which topics I'm going to pick, what subtopics I might bring up, which ones I will leave aside, and decide upon my word choice. Though I've always allowed some improv, even if I'm reading from a script, it'll still be a loose-fitting loose script. And, you know, I just in life in general, you have to choose which words to omit. You have to figure out, what, if I say this, am I going to cross a line, etc., etc. And I'm not just talking about, you know, a political correctness, you know, offending people kind of stuff. I just mean, like, Will I be understood? That's another part of crossing a line. Because obviously if you end up saying something too unexpected or too this or too that, people might not listen to you. So, well, there's another point here. How about when you go into a supermarket? Chances are you'll see a vast array of choices there too, to the extent that it can actually be frustrating you have to narrow it down or you'll be there all day. So I'm getting very Andy Rooney-ish with this, um, obviously. But the point is, we all need to narrow things down to simplify. And that is part of how our minds work. And it can work to our detriment sometimes, too. We often engage in categorical thinking. And often those categories are just, this thing is good or, or this thing is bad. And we train ourselves in that way, both for convenience and for some perceived advantages. Hell, sometimes cowardice gets factored in because we're too afraid to see gray areas in a topic. There are various pitfalls to oversimplifying things, and we don't necessarily see them every time, right? When it comes to things like violent crime, which I've obviously talked about in this podcast on a number of occasions. I think there's a temptation uh, for many to not really understand the motives or the mindset 
of the criminal because it may look like, you know, somebody is identifying with the person if they do that too much. So um, if you're a true crime writer and uh, you're trying to understand, you know, what makes the killer tick, some people will instantly say, oh my God, he's he or she is um, sympathizing with them. So that, that's obviously one of the dangers in even talking about, you know, controversial people or controversial people or controversial subjects. And uh, a problem I have with that is that I have this thing called a brain and it is stubbornly interested in how things work. It wants to understand, hey, why did this person become a mass shooter? Why did this one become a murderer? Or what have you. Plus, I sort of hate to say it, but I know people who have criminal histories. And are they necessarily monsters? No, I don't think so. There is someone in my family, in fact, I'm not saying he's like a maniac. And I'm not even going to say his name. But it's somebody I know. And he narrowly avoided a prison sentence by making a deal, barring him from ever returning to certain states. When I say that, I mean he is even barred from entering the airspace above those states. But do I think he's a supervillain? No. And frankly, uh, with what I understand about the human brain and true crime, I've concluded that had my life gone just a little differently, if it had a few more lows than highs, I could have become a more violent person too. Maybe I could have even ended up in prison. Who knows? So in some cases, I can look at a criminal and think, hmm, he or she appears to be reacting the only way they can to a world that doesn't exist for them. And to me, that is part of the logical problem of evil. If you're put in a certain environment, it may actually have some unique hells within some of which no one else may be able to fully understand. Um, for me, the world of high school was like that. Sometimes. Not all the time. I'm not saying high school was 100% a negative experience, but, you know, uh, not all of my experiences in high school were great. And I certainly was not. I was perfect myself. And there were unique frustrations that I, I think could have easily put me over the boiling point. And um, if you really want a comprehensive look at something like a high school shooting or something like that, it would have to be from an author who's willing to say, this isn't so much a story about a mass shooting as it is a story about a kid's life. And, you know, I'm not naive. I, I know that understanding and recognizing the signs won't necessarily prevent violence every single time. But it seems like it would help reduce the odds to, you know, be able to look for these telltale signs and hopefully not, um, you know, infringe on a person's rights just because, you know, you see some problems with a person. Of course, that's another problem, too, is... If you were to see some of these, I guess, dark elements of a, of a person, would 
would a person potentially take it too far and um, essentially criminalize that person before they actually committed a crime. So, of course, that's yet another uh, problem in this whole issue, and it's not not really the easiest thing to address either. On top of that, if we work a little more on producing relatively stress-free environments in schools, workplaces, and in society in general, we will surely reduce the likelihood of violence. It's a matter of common sense that, at the very least, people are slightly less likely to murder you if you come across as one of the good ones, right? I mean, that's I know they say there's nothing more uncommon than common sense, but it seems like that's a bit of a slam dunk assumption. I think that if you grew up feeling different from other boys and girls or whatever, you're a little more likely to eventually turn to aggression to compensate for your inner emotions. So so I'm not saying that anyone who's a little bit different is going to do that. But, you know, if, if a person is picked on, and alienated for being different in some way, obviously it could become a problem. So it it it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, an obvious problem, but just in the way that anybody can be picked on or singled out. On that note, the American Psychological Association quotes Mark Leary, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Duke University, as saying, quote, few psychologists tuned into the importance of rejection, and it's like the whole field missed this centrally important part of human life. And uh, the article also mentions how, quote, as researchers have dug deeper into the roots of rejection, they've found surprising evidence that the pain of being excluded is not so different from the pain of physical injury. Rejection also has serious implications for an individual's psychological state and for society in general. Social rejection can influence emotion, cognition, and even physical health. Ostracized people sometimes become aggressive and can turn to violence. In 2003, Leary and colleagues analyzed 15 cases of school shooters and found all but two suffered from social rejection. So that's uh, that's from an APA.org article. It's worth looking into. Uh, but the feelings of rejection can be a little more localized and quirky than one might think. When people think of rejection, they might think about lovey-dovey kind of stuff, but it can include other thing, other things like, you know, sucking at baseball because you can't throw the ball very well. I, I know one of my frustrations in high school and college was how bad I was at math, especially algebra. Uh, I might have miffed, or I might have missed saying that correctly, algebra. Uh, the emotional fear and hatred at times nearly drove me up the wall, and it was like an irrational hatred. And I really fear, feared going to class because I, I dreaded it um, because, you know, I was, I just didn't want to be there. I guess, maybe fear isn't even the right word. I just dreaded it. I didn't want to go to class. It was, uh, 
it, it was just one of those things of it was a sort of akin to learning disability only kind of not because I actually was capable of understanding algebra and I eventually did get the passing grade but I just found it so boring and so humiliating that I had to take this class that I had zero interest in. Oddly enough, you know, it, like I said, it wasn't that I couldn't do algebra, but it was it was just so boring, and uh, I, it, I, it was almost insulting. Like, I had the feeling of being insulted by having to go to class. It's hard to explain. Now, was I so enraged that I could have become way more violent? I'd like to think not, but who knows? Again, had my life gone just a little bit differently, and had I lost my grip and control over my behavior, I could have gone down a much darker path. And I think these little things like, you know, being frustrated about schoolwork and feeling alienated, they can chip at, chip away at a person. The issue of struggling with schoolwork has undoubtedly led some people to kill themselves. I, I guarantee it. At the same time, it's also well known that high academic achievers are actually more likely to feel suicidal due to the pressures of needing to always be perfect. And on top of that, imagine if a person having school or work-related stress was abused in some way, or mentally ill, or had a personality disorder, and, uh, you know, that might be if they're psychopaths or sociopaths or countless other factors. If you think about all of these different issues, maybe it's impressive the world is not actually worse than it is. Now, that, that might sound like a bleak statement, but it's not necessarily bleak. You know, I mean, it really depends on how you look at it. Now, I want to mention another unique frustration I have had, and that is phoniness. You know, people looking fake, um, being liars, etc. For example, I hate it when I start a job and they claim, oh, these are your teammates and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we're so glad to have you on the team. And, and I know they're not. <laughs> you know, my being there is really just a coincidence. And then the second that I'm no longer convenient for them, they'll fire my ass. These people do not necessarily care about me, and this company certainly doesn't care about me. They just want to make money off of me. The second I'm no longer beneficial to them in any clear way, they'll just throw my ass out the door. And with a lot of people, you know, they they all seem nice and all that kind of stuff, but if you were, like, dying in a gutter, I, th I think a lot of them would just walk on by. And, I, you know, we, we see that in large cities where there, there are plenty of homeless people. You know, um, they'll just walk past you, not even not even take a second to, like, <laughs> notice you that well. And then, of course, you have these John Stossel types who are, like, saying, oh, homeless people don't even exist or whatever. And, oh, man, you know, just so many dimensions of awfulness. And that one little issue. But the point is, you know, it's phony when these people say they care about you so much. A lot of the time, they don't even care about you. Hardly a little bit. And, and you know, I get it. The company wants to seem nice. 
just like more people used to do. But it can be frustrating to see how fake the world is. I think other people out there feel the same way too. And frankly, I think that this perception of the world as being fake really uh, makes it seem like a lie or, or maybe, you know, even a, some sort of illusion. Like, you know, you go to a, I mean, a classic example. It's a bit of a stretch, but I'll still say it. Like if you go to a fast food place, they make, they make the food look perfect. But then you, then you actually get in, it's like this mushy uh, piece of crap burger compared to, compared to what the ad suggests. You know, that's sort of a convenient example, but I think the imagery kind of makes the point a little stronger. So going back to the very original point here, I understand why people do certain bad things. I understand the pressure to cheat rather than to fail. I even understand why people do hit and run crimes. I mean, the, the logic is obvious. They don't want to end up in prison, so they flee the scene. You know, I'm not saying it's justified, but, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why it happens. Now, having said all this potentially controversial, maybe in some ways revelatory stuff, doesn't mean I'm excusing violence or am I just trying to wrap my head around it, contextualize it, and learn how to approach it better as an issue. Then there's the classic issue. If someone hits you, are you going to hit back? Because when it comes down to it, society is not much more advanced than just stones and sticks. When it comes to war, we just upgrade the technology and try to mask our violent behavior with rhetoric about freedom and how we're better than the enemy and all that kind of stuff. You know, you have the flag imagery and the slogans and maybe somebody like Uncle Sam and the majestic American Eagle flying around, um, dropping bombs everywhere, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess that would be like eagle turds or whatever, explosive eagle diarrhea. Um, but anyway, I'm getting a little bit off topic. A warmonger is not likely to say, you know, I take full responsibility for my actions. I apologize for causing negative attention to the nation that I represent or something like that, they're going to pretty up their efforts. They're going to make it look like no atrocities are occurring or, or even could occur. And, uh, you know, they're going to be skilled propagandists about it. That's a tried and true phenomenon. They'll try to claim self-defense, even if it wasn't. And plenty of warmongers and powerful criminals do it because they know in their heart of hearts they probably won't spend a second in jail if they do some war crimes or what have you, or, or if they lie or any number of things. There may be exceptions to that situation, but in their minds, they could never be that exception. I won't be held accountable. And quite often that's true. Most of these powerful criminals do not face a prison sentence so they think their violence is more than worth it. They probably get off on their ability to display their power, their might, their majesty. And they would never say it's stupid either. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, if, if you're in a situation where you have to drop bombs on people or shoot at them, throw grenades, uh, plant landmines, 
that obviously means society is being smart. It's not like a failure of intelligence. It's it's a sign of our freedom and our strength, you know, and all that bullshit. And unfortunately, society actually does often reward people for this type of behavior and greed and just not thinking unconventional thoughts. In contrast, many of us are taught conventional, relatively almost petty moral lessons, such as, you know, to stay in school, stay off drugs, work hard, never lie, never cheat, never steal. Oh, and murder is obviously wrong. But if the government does it, the government does all of those things. Well, again, it's in the name of freedom, you know, and prosperity and goodwill towards men and, you know, the the whole shebang. Yet some of us see the powerful misbehave with impunity and we feel resentment of the hypocrisy of the system. We regard it as a sham and a shame and lash out at society for its double standards. Personally, I resent people who put up a mask of perfection and moral purity and all that jazz when I know in fact they are anything but perfect. I went to schools with people, and I know how children can be, as well as young adults. And of course, I know how adults can be as well. Um, looking back, I, I obviously was a child. I, I knew what it was like to be bullied on the playground, and I know what it was like to bully people on the playground. I've seen people crippled by depression, substance abuse, and so on. Fortunately, in some instances, it didn't last long, and I've seen people pull through the very worst of times. Still, if we want individuals' lives to improve, we need to stop rewarding psychopathic behavior at the top. We need a more humane way of doing things, with a well-rounded, less hypocritical, no-BS approach to life, to the extent possible. Because the lies, in addition to being lies ultimately lead to failure and destruction. And that may seem exciting at first, but even that can get boring when we become numbed and mindless to its effects. So, all right, that's about all I need to say about this. Um, hopefully you've, you found it uh, insightful in some way. And uh, I'm basically done talking, so have a good day.